transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet, the home of legendary pirates. This is your host, Alpha Mike, and you are listening to episode 156, Sonny, the Legend, part of our Wise Guy series. No doubt you will like this series. We're going to talk about one of the legends of La Costa Nostra. He has several records, and we will discuss what those records are. He is admired by many, many mobsters and even people in the community because he had a charming personality as well. But we will get to that soon enough. We have to extend our prayers to the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. Two deputies were shot at point-blank range where they were parked next to uh, uh, an alley, I believe it was. And uh, a circus clown showed up out of nowhere, pulled out a gun, shot both deputies, point-blank range. And um, then he took off running. Both deputies did as they were trained. They exited the vehicle, uh, seriously injured, took cover. And uh, they administered first aid to each other as best they could. It transmitted uh, the location and uh, basically prepared in case that they had to engage again the sub- subject. And um, amazing under those circumstances. So they are true heroes. But the scumbags leftists were g- guarding the hospital when they were transferred there, the entrance and the exits, screaming and yelling as police arrived. They refused uh, people entrance or exit out of the hospital, cursing at cops and basically saying, we hope they effing die. This is the world that we live in today. Unfortunately, what is good is determined to be bad and what is bad is determined to be good biblical prophecy. Now, we really want to extend thumbs up to Sheriff Alex Villanueva of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department because he's come out swinging on this one. You know, ever since he became sheriff, I've kept an eye on him. I was a little spectacle at first, you know, because he was a little left-leaning, but I guess you got to be if you want to get elected uh, sheriff of Los Angeles, but he's come out swinging on this, saying he's pissed off and the rhetoric has gone way overboard, even challenging Lamar, uh, LeBron, uh, to take out his checkbook and match the funds that, uh, the contributions for the family or the deputies. So, uh, kudos to him because, uh, he became a cop before, becoming a politician. So, admirable. We live in troubled times. You know it and I know it. And, you know, Joe Biden now writes on social networking uh, that we need to surrender our weapons, that there's no need to have such weapons in this country. This is the message you get from the left. Instead of saying that 
it's outrageous that these police officers were shot. No, the message you get has nothing to do with condemnation of the shooting, but you're scolded into being told that you should not be having weapons. Joe Biden's comments no, uh, September 13th was... Weapons of war have no place in our community. We need to ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. This goof writes this when Americans need to be more and better armed than ever. Our forefathers said that the, uh, the bearing of arms was for our defense and protection of foreign and domestic terrorists or opponents. And that's what we have today, domestic. And uh, forefathers were right on point. They're not looking uh, at any Joe Biden when they wrote that, uh, and neither am I. So he can just go somewhere else with that left-leaning crap. This is coming from a guy, like all these hypocrites, with armed security. But the average citizen doesn't have armed security. They depend on cops. So when you piss on cops, what are you going to depend on now? Exactly. So we live in tr troubled times, and we encourage people, firearm sales and buying rounds of ammunition have gone through the roof in this country. Democrats are one of the best firearm salesmen in, the, in America, or if not the world. And they prove it once again. But carrying a, a firearm and a concealed firearm, licensed or not, whether your state has a license requirement, is only part of the battle. The other part is training and training hard for the event. But there's also the after of the shooting. What happens then? You need protection, and that protection comes in the form of the USCCA, 350,000 members strong, and they provide legal protection. They have small premiums from $22 a month all the way to $47 a month, mere pennies for what you would pay because a bill like that, a legal bill, would be in the millions. And the USCCA is definitely backing its members up. Not only that, the amount of uh, legal advice they give on once you become a member, and the training, tactical training, is amazing. Want to be a member today? It's as easy as just texting the word Raider, R-A-I-D-E-R, -E to 87222, the word Raider, and you're on the way to becoming a member. Oh, if you forget that, you didn't have a pen, you're driving, well, my God, what did he say? You can just go to the show notes, and down at the bottom, you'll see a USCCA banner. Click on that, and that'll take you to the membership portion. Uh, it's important because just carrying a weapon, it's, that's only half the battle. You've got to protect your family from lawsuits and everything else that's coming your way after that engagement. That's part of the left uh, uh, lawyers. The lawyers are going to get you. So you've got to be ready for that engagement as well. And if you're trying and thinking about, well, I can't really afford a gun, but I got Uncle Joe's old ugly gun, and uh, where do I go? How do I fix it? I don't even know if this thing shoots. You want reliability in a gun, so you want a good 
gunsmith. Well, I had one when I was active in law enforcement. His name was Pistol Pete. Today, Pistol Pete is retired and has a flourishing gunsmithing business in Miami, Florida. Pistol Pete, the gunsmith, was the gunsmith to not one, five, a hundred, or five hundred cops, but thousands in Miami for a long, long time. This man, I call him the magician, the the teacher, el maestro. He will put garbage and make it into beauty, or what we call, as firearms instructors, sexy, sexy firearms. Pistol Pete, the gunsmith. His information is below. And it, but but I don't live in Miami. I live in Wisconsin. I live in Alaska. I live in Hawaii. No problem. Don't get nervous on me. All you got to do is find yourself an FLL dealer and ship it. Put that bad boy in a box and ship it at a minimal cost, probably about 20, 30 bucks. And Pistol Pete will receive it, fix it, put that bad boy back in a box and send it right back to that FLL dealer for you. If uh, you want more instruction on that, just click on Pistol Pete, the gunsmith, down below, and we'll get you on the road. Look, we're, we're helping you fix your gun. Make sure it goes bang when it's supposed to. That's the guy you want to see. We're giving you protection after the, the aftermath. We're giving you training on those tactics. What more do you want? You want me to shoot the thing for you? Come on. All right. And speaking of miracles, it's time for the word of the week. From the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of this might. And to know more about this word, you can hear it. This day that it's uh, this podcast is being launched, or anytime thereafter for 90 days on RadarCopNation.com, there's a section there that says test everything. Click on there, and you can hear our, um, it's only 15 minutes or less, folks. We'll explain this verse and what it means for your spiritual life. We've got a lot on the agenda, so we're not going to waste any time. Today's topic, Sonny the Legend, on the Wise Guy series. Some people have asked me, uh, who Sonny was, and I was going to, uh, you know, engage with them a little bit better, um, on, you know, texting or whatever um, mechanisms we could have communicated with them, but I said, no, the episode's going to do it. There's a lot of information, because why was he a legend? Well, he was a legend because he held many records in his... Uh, historical La Costa Nostra career. The youngest, the oldest, and the oldest again. And we will share that. But it's time to get the bus ready. And the circus clown that we're looking for, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department is looking for that little circus clown that shot those two deputies. Let's go, boys.
Sonny the Legend, episode 156. Growing up in New York City in the area of Elmhurst and Corona, as a boy, I learned of Sonny. The older folks that lived in the neighborhood, I don't even know how we got on those conversations. I must have been 12, 13. We played stickball. And some of the older folks that lived in the neighborhood for, you know, 50, 60 years, they would watch us. And uh, somehow we got into a conversation about uh, the mafia. And I think it was because of the Godfather movie. Not sure. And I remember one of those people saying, this neighborhood here, this is controlled by Sonny. And I said to myself, Sonny? Was he a little kid? And that name stuck in my head since I was a child. As a disclaimer, people will say, how can you glamify this type of behavior in this, this type of world? I'm not. Sonny, uh, because of what he got involved in, ends up doing decades in prison. So the end result with this type of life is death or prison. So it's not the best there is. But here we go. Born Giovanni. Carmina Francesi, or Francis. Uh, he was born on February 6, 1917, in Naples, Italy, at sea. His parents, Carmine Francis and Maria Corvola, both had uh, residency, so they traveled back and forth from Italy, Naples, to uh, America. Sonny was born in high seas. And his dad was a well-respected member of the Mafia. Now, he was not a made member. He was an associate, but that was by design. And as I said, he was well-respected, most likely in Naples, and it followed him to America. Known as Tutti the Lion or Turrido de Leone, Sonny's parents had residency, as I said, to go back and forth. Sonny was the youngest of 19 children. That's right. I said it right. One, nine. Fifteen girls, four boys, Sonny being the youngest. His brothers, three of them, was, were street guys. Not necessarily involved, but they were around. They knew how to handle themselves. At the tender age of 13, Sonny caught the eye of a capo in the Provacci family. As you remember, the Provacci family later will change its name to the Colombo family. The capo was Sebastianino Alloy, and he ran a card game, as well as other things, gambling, loan shark, and everything else. And he saw this young man and he liked the way he carried himself. And he had him, at one point or another, as a tender age of 13 or 14, running pretty much the card game. Everybody knew who he was, who his dad was, and they definitely knew who the couple in the area was. He'd have to be a lunatic to act up. Aloy would propose Sonny for membership, probably in 1950 or a little bit before 
Not clear when Sonny became a made member. Some people say mid to late 20s or early 30s. Sonny was drafted in World War II, 1942. He had a couple of issues when he was uh, drafted, and one of them was punching out the lieutenant uh, in the Army. And uh, the lieutenant said, hey, you're making passes at my wife. They got into fisticuffs. The lieutenant lost. Sonny was discharged from the Army for having homicidal tendencies. How about that? Join the Army during the Second World War, and you're removed because you have homicidal tendencies. Mm-mm-mm. During Sonny's gangsterism career, he became an earner and an enforcer. You see, there are three types of mafiosos. You have the anchor. They can't do nothing. They're just there. They're taking up space and oxygen. But they're told to do this, do that, sweep up, go pick up the package, close the door. That's what they're there for. And you have the earners. The earners are the, the cash cows. They bring in the golden calf every month. They're usually not told to do anything severe like enforcing or beating people up or anything like that because, God forbid, their hands get dirty. They're too busy earning. And, of course, you have the enforcers. Now, very seldom do you have both qualities, earner and enforcer. On the show notes down below, we're going to post an interview with Sammy the Bull Gravano. Say whatever you want to say about Sammy. That's a gangster. But he talks about how Paul Castellano regarded him in a meeting as being both and those were very strange to come by, a person that was an earner and an enforcer. Sonny was in that rare club of both. Sonny uh, would eventually become a fierce protector of the Provacci organization, including its boss, Joe Provacci. He was known for following the rules and protecting its mandates. Sometime during the 1950s, Joe Provacci, the boss, made Sonny a couple. Now, during the Colombo Wars or Provacci-Colombo Wars with the Gallows, there was a point in time where Joe Gallo and his brothers, they kidnapped... uh, the underboss, Maligroso, and some capos, including Joe Colombo. And they would not let them go until they got what they wanted. Well, after several days, the Gallo crew called in for a special negotiator because the negotiations were not going anywhere, and they only trusted one person. Who did they trust? Sonny. Sonny Francis was called to negotiate the truce. Although he did get all the hostages released, he did well with his efforts. Joe Provacci, after they were released, said, I'm not giving them anything. And the war kind of lingered on. Of course, the Gallows didn't fare well at the end of the war. And we know that Joe, crazy Joe Gallo, was gunned down in the streets.
Joe Provacci ends up dying, natural causes, in 1962. And the Provacci family was taken over by Joe Maligroso, his underboss, which was also his brother-in-law. And he takes over the realm. He is of Sicilian background. And the Provacis are also Sicilian, and they had a close relationship with Joe Bonanno, which was also Sicilian. The bond goes way before the 1931 uh, official recognition of the commission. So at this point, Bonanno sees himself a little bit vulnerable because Joe Provacci just passed away. So he immediately confides in Malagroso, we need to kill the two bosses on the other families on the commission, which were Tommy Lucchese and Carlo Gambino. Malagroso said, okay. Bonanno told him, well, make sure one of your trusted guys handles that. And he did. He gave it to Joe Colombo. Colombo thought about it long and hard, maybe about 10 minutes, and ran as fast as his feet would take him straight to Carlo Gambino, where he proceeded to tell him the entire plot. Joe Colombo was rewarded by Gambino by placing him as boss of the Provacci family and as another token of his appreciation and Tommy Locasey, they changed the name from Pavachi to Colombo. But not so fast, one family said. And that was most likely, if you, if you break down the five families, right, you got Banano, he's on the run now because the plot has been told. So, uh, Uncle Joe, he disappears and says he got kidnapped by his cousin up in Buffalo somewhere. And uh, Provacci family is up in arms. You don't know who's in charge, so they're out of any voting. You got Tom, Tommy, Lucchese, and Carlo Gambino. Pizzona non gratis at this point. They're very unhappy. So that leaves one family that has a little bit bigger vote than usual, and that's the Genovese family. And we will later find out that there was a close bond between Sonny Francis and Vito Genovese. Vito Genovese was a mentor to Sonny Francesi as he was starting up in the uh, mob world. And his father would work for Vito Genovese. Remember, his dad was well-respected. So, no doubt that the Genovese family played a role in that commission vote by saying, all right, you put your guy, but you're going to put our guy. And that was Sonny Francis. At the, at the behest, most likely, nobody is going to think about the, 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 the Genovese family just shrugged their shoulders. Yeah, you know, put whoever you want in charge their boss, under boss, do whatever you want. No, they had to make sure they had an interest, and that was their interest. Now, Sonny was involved in a lot by then. We're talking about the uh, 63, 64. And Sonny had his hands in all of the businesses. 
uh, Shylocking and gambling and uh, uh, union control and you name it, hijackings. He was even influential at uh, hijackings at uh, Kennedy Airport uh, during that time. Uh, you know, he, he was one of the pioneers to that. Sonny also started to move the Provaci slash Colombo family from its original roots of Brooklyn and he starts going into areas of Queens and he had been doing that probably since the 40s and then he goes off to Long Island New Jersey eventually South Florida and Southern California Sonny is the John Gotti of the time now he is Gotti before there was a Gotti you see, the media really started writing articles about him. He was, straight from central casting, a gangster. He dressed apart, he talked apart, he looked apart. And the media ate it up. So every other day, Sonny was in the newspaper. Sonny was charged with the murder of Ernesto, Ernesto Rapolo. Now, he was associated with the uh, Genovese family, or prior to that, uh, Luciano family. A murder that was done in 1938. Rapolo was also one of the guys on the murder, but Vito Genovese was the trigger man. And Genovese knew that he could pin that murder on him. In 1938, as we discussed when we spoke about Vito Genovese in an earlier episode, he flees to Italy. When he comes back, part of the pact is that nothing would happen to Rapolo because he dummied up. But now it's 1963 or 64, and Vito's not feeling it. He reaches out to Sonny Francis, and Rapolo got brand new shoes in the form of an anchor with chains and dumped in the Hudson River. He eventually, the body comes up and Sonny is charged, but he beats the case. As I said, there was no doubt that the Genovese family and their influences were very friendly to Sonny Francis. An example of that is his son, Michael Francis, which also entered the mob at an early age, probably, uh, I think it was 20, 24, 25, in the 70s, and he reached the rank of capo. And he was one of the biggest earners in the history of the mafia, doing the gas tax where he was bringing in 8 to $10 million a week. Let me repeat that again. Eight to ten million dollars a week, and uh, that went on for about a decade. So you know, ring that one up, and that'll tell you how much money there was. He eventually steps away from mafia life, bringing a little problem between him and his dad, but nothing that could be resolved. And he, uh, Michael walks away, but uh, Michael has said on, you know, he's a big YouTuber people follow him and we're going to put a link down below if you want to follow him 
where he says that uh, two stories, one that uh, Tony Solano of the uh, Genovese family was very, he liked very well his dad and respected him as well as Vincent Chin Gigante. So at one point he even says that Gigante had heard rumors that the boss of the Colombo family, Carmine Persico, was doubting Michael and they might be problems. And the Chin basically said to Michael in a meeting between him, them two, if uh, you have any problems and you need my help, you reach out, I can get you transferred to my family. And he could because the Gallo War, when that finished, a lot of members of the Gallo crew ended up in the Genovese family, including Albert Kid Blass Gallo. So there's some influence there. The Chim was probably one of the most powerful gangsters in the 80s that uh, anybody had ever seen. Sonny goes on to become, because of that influence, the underboss of the Colombo family between the years of 1963 to 1967. 67, he takes a little powder because he got charged with bank robbery. Of course, there was baloney bogus charges brought by the federal government because they needed to slow Sonny down. He was sentenced to 50 years. Sonny told the judge at that time and the prosecutors, I'm going to do every minute of my sentence. He lived up to his word, completed almost 40 of those. Remember, you, you never do the entire sentence. And he was paroled uh, about five times during that sentence. Now, back then, the laws were a little different than they are now. A 50-year sentence was broken down into, like, 25-year sentences with parole. So Sonny would, you know, do eight years, get paroled, get in trouble, go back, do two more years, get paroled, and then that kind of thing. Ending up almost with 40 years, 39 and something. But that was his entire sentence. He gets released at 100 years of age. But when... Sonny got released and he was on parole. Sonny was full blast. He never stopped being Sonny Francis. Uh, Sonny was known as a handball champion when he was in prison. He was a health fanatic. Took When he was out in the street, took vitamins about 20 a day. Worked out, lifted weights. He was a strong guy, amateur boxer. He could handle himself very well. And he did no smoking and no consumption of alcohol. While mobsters were getting bottles of booze down their throat and getting drunk and doing deals, Sonny was straight as an arrow because it was business. He would get club soda and sip it. Nobody knew what the hell he was really drinking. But... Sonny wouldn't touch the stuff. As he got older, maybe in his 90s, he'd allow maybe a, bo- a, a glass of wine. He was splurging. But Sonny was of sound mind. I'll tell you a little bit more about the eulogy in his funeral and his grandkids. Sonny, as I said, was released from prison at 100. And at that point, he had gotten sentenced 
because his other son, John, wore a wire and basically testified against his father. We don't understand why that was done. Uh, his son, John, did contract AIDS through a needle. And Michael has said on YouTube that he believes that his brother, John, did that because medic the medication for AIDS was very expensive and he wanted the federal government to pick up the tab, and they probably did. So he rolled the old man. It was something that bothered John, and he was an addict. He was not a made member. He was an associate, and he drove his dad around. That was his job. His dad trusted him. At one point, his dad confronts him about, are, are you providing information. He denies it. He cries, tells his dad, no, dad, I'd never do that. His father brought it. You see, Sonny was a family man. And in his heart of hearts, family came first. So he gave John a chance, but John was wearing a wire. At 93, and the other mob bosses were astonished that Sonny at 93 was running the Colombo family as underboss, making decisions like never before. The FBI had recorded John Gotti in the early 80s talking about him, talking about his age and his, his, his passion, and said, that's a man's man. That's a gangster. And John Gotti admired Sonny Francis. Other mod members, like the Bonanno family, Joe Massino and Vincent Bassiano, better known as Vinnie Gorgeous, they were running the Bonanno family from behind bars, and they were talking about how they sent a capo to meet Sonny, and at that time he was in his uh, 90s, over a dispute and that that compo reported back that Sonny was nuts. And what they meant by that was he wasn't going to relinquish anything to anybody. And uh, they got a blast of who Sonny was. I'm sure Joe Messino did know Sonny and the legend who he was. He had passion and he wasn't going to give it up. Sonny had many titles. Here's a couple of them. At the age of 13, he ran a card game for the Provacci family. At this time, he's a young boy. So that makes, if we total up his time, over 90 years involved in La Costa Nostra. Actually born in it, if you regard his dad. And if kind of estimate the time that he was made, we're looking at probably 77 years as a made member. So we're talking about a tremendous amount of prestige in becoming who he was. And that was one of his records as being probably the youngest person involved in La Costa Nostra. He was also the oldest prisoner in the federal 
Correctional System at 100, released another title. And he died at 103. Sonny dies February 24, 2020. Complications of, uh, I guess, life at that age. And he dies as the oldest living mafioso in probably, if not the United States, the world at 103. And he died like he lived. Uh, he was a legend. And even when he died, immediately everybody, the media started picking up the story and running with it. Today, Sonny is buried in St. John's Cemetery, Middle Village, Queens, on Section 039, Row E. He is buried there. Sonny, to a lot of mobsters, it means the last of the real gangsters. What people thought gangsterism was, Sonny portrayed, not only in the beginning, but even towards the end. Now, towards the end of his life, he was in a nursing home, and they would push him around in a wheelchair, and you see some interviews of him on YouTube. He did a Newsweek interview. Why he did it, we'll never know, but there's no doubt that some people were saying that he had retired at that point. Impossible. And the reason it was impossible because he was a legend. If he would have retired, he would have been in Florida sipping an iced tea. He wasn't retired. He was still there because that's what he believed in. And as a result, he was still a made member. Now, at 103, the Colombo family probably didn't want to risk him getting arrested again at 103. So they're probably getting him nothing to do. But they kept him on a pedestal because he was a legend, not only to the Colombo family, but to La Costa Nostra, period. Sonny had influence. Sonny knew details like nobody. He knew history like no other mobster. He ran old school, and he knew what the rules were, and he was going to enforce them if he had to. As he started to get older, I'm sure he noticed he was uh, less powerful than he was at one time. But he wore his membership in La Costa Nostra proudly and never giving up that oath, never gave anybody up. Even when he did his Newsweek interview, they asked him about the code of secrecy, Omaita, and he said, what is that? I don't even know what you're talking about. He played it all the way to the end, straight out of central casting. The media asked him once, Sonny, is it true you used to hang out with Frank Sinatra? And he said, no, you asked the question wrong. You should have asked, did Frank Sinatra know Sonny Francis? That's who he was. He had an interest in the Copacabana. Frank Costello had part of the ownership, and so did Sonny. He had 
bars and clubs all over America and in Jackson Heights, Queens, back in the 40s and 50s, that was all full of clubs and nightclubs and stuff like that. Sonny ran all of that. Sonny was into movies, and there's a long list of the movies he was involved in. And, of course, he wasn't the executive producer, so you're not going to see his name on there, but he had an interest. Nothing happened without Sonny's call. He was also in the record business with Buddha Records and some of those hits as well. Sonny was bigger than life to a lot of celebrities. They liked to hang around with him. And an example of that was one of the last movies he financed, this thing of ours, about gangster movie. It was okay, the, the movie, as starring James Khan, and uh, Sonny was involved with that as well. He had a lot of influence and a lot of respect and not only in mafia circles, but in business circles as well. He was very business savvy, and he wasn't going to lose. He didn't show up to lose. He showed up to win. He dressed the part. He acted the part. He was the part. There have been a lot of members of La Costa Nostra. Some of them had to walk around with bathrobes to masquerade who they were. Some of them needed the limelight pointed at them at all times and their hair neatly done every day. Some acted like the boss and chopped away on cigars. But Sonny was a gangster. There was never a doubt in anybody in the media's mind or law enforcement, the community, or anybody in the mob who he was. Never hit it. But he didn't advertise it either. He played the part. During the gallo Provaci wars, uh, Michael would say that his father never missed any events in the family. He'd disappear for weeks at a time while he was at the mattresses fighting those wars, and all of a sudden show up, dressed apart, cashmere coat, uh, pinky ring, in tow with about five to ten guys in a Lincoln or a Cadillac to see the baseball game or whatever event there was. He was a family man. I'll close with this. His son John said in an article that he left the witness protection because he needed and felt an urgency to bond with his dad again. Under witness protection, he could never contact him. So he walked away. He had to build up the courage to see his dad. He had gotten released at 100 years old. He knew time was valuable. He didn't know how long his dad would last. And he makes the journey. He knows the nursing home he's at, and he shows up. He sees his dad from down the hallway and he walks up to him and his dad really didn't recognize him at first. But he said, it's me, your son, John. Sonny looked closer and then said, why did you do that? Referring to, why did you testify against me? They talked. 
But John said he knew that one or two people would show up to that encounter. Either Sonny Francis, the underboss of the Colombo family, was there, or Sonny, his father. And for his blessings, Sonny, his father, showed up. He asked him, did the government pay you off? No, Dad, no, they didn't. Did your mother put you up to it? No, Dad, she didn't. And he thought about it and he said, well, you're my son and I gotta love you. Bottom line, Sonny was a family man. He was and probably will be a very regarded member of La Costa Nostra. Don't make him like Sonny anymore. There are a lot of imitations, but they won't even reach his ankles. The song of the week will be remembered by the Shangalais, and they were, uh, that record was a part of Sonny's interest, we'll say that. Up next on episode 157, The Plea, we'll talk about how people get arrested and all of a sudden we have little sidebars on the side and we go into a plea, how the pleas are done and how they're done today. Kind of disgusting to say the least. As always... Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your family. Continue to pray for your community and the law enforcement agencies that serve you. Most importantly, continue to pray for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out.
Four three two three, chest at thirteen twenty two.